don't you pray for me? Pray with me. Pray for me, too. <laughs> uh, what a beautiful perspective that is, God, that uh, this is your world. What a great lens to see things through. But, God, we don't, we don't want just a perspective. We want a complete change of our understanding. We want to actually understand this really is your world. It really is safe to be here with you. So this morning, we want to we want to hear from you, and we want to see things the way that you see things. And so I pray you do that the way that you do. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this is uh, uh, week four, I believe, of a summer series on prayer. We're calling Texting God, and we're going to talk today uh, about being desperate. Have you ever been desperate? I'm not, I'm not talking uncomfortable. I'm not talking... You're walking back from the beach in your flip-flops, and you get one of those rocks underneath your foot, and you're like, oh, I don't like that. God, take away the rock. I'm not talking that kind of discomfort when you, it moves you to talk to God. I'm talking about desperate. Have you ever been there? I, I, God, I, I don't know. If you don't show up, you're financially desperate. Have you ever been there? Uh, have you ever been... Uh, emotionally desperate you got rejected and it hurts like fire and you're desperate beautiful news for you uh, this this psalm that we're gonna look at this morning uh, the whole idea of prayer is for you if you're desperate I want to invite you to stand with me we're gonna read the psalm that we're gonna look at this morning as we're doing all the way through this series a different psalm each uh, Sunday morning, and I'll, uh, I'll read it a lot. It's actually on the back, printed on the back of the weekly this week. If you have that with you, you can turn that over and follow along, and I'll read it aloud as we look at it together. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel and real life say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us, the flood would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us, the raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Read that very last line with me again out loud. Would you do that? Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. One more time, really loud. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Well, we're kind of following a pattern as we go through this series. Uh, at the front end, we're talking about what prayer is, is and isn't, kind of dispelling some myths that we carry around in our heads and in our practice about prayer. And then each week offering a really simple tool that you can use to put into practice that week to improve your your prayer life your prayer experience and then we look at a psalm and then at the end we do a lab we kind of practice what we've talked about that morning uh, so let me tell you just really briefly what prayer isn't what prayer isn't prayer isn't um, doing it right in fact I would argue there's there's no right way to pray uh, I have an occupational hazard when I go in places in public and gatherings because people know that I work as a pastor, they make the assumption that somehow I pray better than them or I have a better hotline to God. It's an occupational hazard. They don't know they can actually do the same thing sometimes. 
So uh, ceremonially, sometimes I get asked to pray. And uh, it'll be weddings, funerals, uh, sometimes public gatherings that I might be at. And there's an almost universal reaction. This has happened in multiple places around the country, even around the world. Uh, that will happen when, we say, when I say the words, would you pray with me or let's pray. Do you know what people do? First, especially, especially if it's a public gathering, it's not a, not a church or a congregation of some sort. What people, I will, I'll see it every time. People's eyes will get really big. Huh? Oh! And, or someone will look around and notice that everyone else bowed their head, and so then they bow their head and then they pray. Uh, it's very interesting if you've read through the Gospels, the life of Jesus, one of the things you'll notice is they'll say this about how Jesus prayed. Contrast this with how you think you're supposed to pray. Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven and prayed. We go, huh? <laughs> now, if you were taught that, you were taught by some Sunday school teacher, well-meaning Sunday school teacher, children, we close our eyes and we bow our head out of reverence. And really what your Sunday school teacher wanted you to do was just be quiet. And so she tricked you. And now it's not bad to close your eyes. You can certainly close your eyes if you want. We do that here a lot. Uh, but here's what prayer is, okay? Prayer is just doing it. It's just praying. I like how Henry Nowen says it. He says, there are no bad prayers. We learn to pray by praying. It's kind of like uh, if you're a, a grandparent or a parent and your child comes to you with a picture that they drew at school and you think it looks like a three-headed wolf and they bring it to you and you, you say, well, what, what is this? And they say, it's you. You're like, oh, thank you. You know what you don't say? You don't say, well, that's the stupidest picture I've ever seen. That's the dumbest thing. Why would you draw that? That's not me. It doesn't look anything like me. What do you do? You take it and you put it on your fridge and you go, my kid did that. Because there are no bad pictures. In the same way, there are no, to God, there are no bad prayers. You learn to pray by praying. Someone said it this way. Prayer is to faith what research is to science. So you just pray. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that we're often going to not know how to pray. So he wrote to the Christians in Rome and he said, this is what happens, is the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that can't be expressed in words. So sometimes I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't have the right words. So I go, God, Tom, oh. And the Holy Spirit goes, okay, he's, he's stupid, and he doesn't know what to say. Here's what oh, means, and prays, and prays for it. It's okay. You don't have to know how to do it. Just do it. Just do it. You get better at it by doing it. So let me give you a tool. Uh, last week, if you were here, I, I showed you a picture of the rocking chair that I have at my house. It's my prayer spot, and I encourage you, if you were here last week, to find your spot. How many of you found a spot this week? Both of you. Good job. <laughs> Some of you did. If you didn't find a spot, make it your own spot where you go to meet with God. Uh, but let me give you, a, let me give you a, a simple tool you can use at bedtime. Now, if you grew up around faith or your parents were Christian people, uh, they would say, you know, kids, we're going to pray. It's bedtime prayers. And maybe you have some routine. If you have kids that you teach them to pray at night or you pray with them, I do that with my kids, sit on the side of the bed and put my hand on their head and pray. And, uh, but you may have thought, like many people do, that that's just something for little children. And so you've grown out of needing to have bedtime prayers. Well, I don't know if you know this, the psalmist uh, in Psalm chapter 4, he said this, he said, tremble and do not sin, but when you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. In other words, bedtime prayer is a, a, actually a very powerful way to end your day in God's presence. 
Now, you're not the first person to not know how to pray. You're not the first person learning how to pray. We're not the first church that's helping people learn how to pray better. Uh, we've got 2,000 years of people, and time before that with the Jewish people, learning to pray. And so there are different methods and, and means by which you can access uh, a life of prayer. One of my favorite is from a guy named Ignatius of Loyola. Loyola University is named after um, Ignatius and what he did and what he taught followers of Jesus. And he had what he called the prayer of examine. And he said, what you do is at night, he took it from this psalm, is at night you lay down and when you're on your pillow, you search your heart and you be silent. But he, he gave a, a, a way, a shape to do that. He said, what you do is you go back through your day and you talk to God about the death, he called it the desolations and the consolations of your day. Now those are big words. I don't really know what they mean. So, and I, so I looked them up and what they mean is the lows and the highs. So I call it the holy high-low. So what you do is you lay on your pillow and you go back through the lows of your day and you walk back through your day as you're laying on your pillow and you turn your phone off and you turn the lights off. You're laying there, it's dark. And you go back and you think about the things. Maybe there are things you need to say, I'm sorry for God, I wish I had said that differently. I wish that person hadn't done that. I wish this thing hadn't happened. Where you, where you need to say sorry, you say sorry. Where you need to say I was hurt and I'm not sure what to do, you say I, I don't know what to do. And you bring the, the desolations, the lows of your day to God. And you leave them there with him. And you say, and tomorrow, God, I'm going to start over. Thank you that you've covered my day, and I'm going to start over tomorrow. And then you go back through, and you go back through the consolations, the highs of your day. God, thank you that person said that to me. Thank you when they did that for me. Thank you when that thing happened. Thank you that I had enough to eat today. And you bring to God the gratefulness. And so you end your day with gratitude. Now, you'll, you'll find if you do this practice, I do this on a pretty regular basis, that you'll often fall asleep don't feel guilty. You just fell asleep in the presence of your heavenly father. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful gift. It's a, a very simple tool that you can use to pray. So I want to challenge you to do that uh, this week. Well, now this psalm, Psalm 124, is a prayer for people who are desperate. Now you need to know, kind of get a, a lay of the land of the psalms. The psalms are broken up in different sections. And this section of the psalm, in fact, if you have the weekly and you turn it over, it says on there, the, the title is a song of ascents. And you may say, what in the world does that mean? What is that talking about? Well, there are uh, 14 psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, that were used by the Jewish people three times a year. If you were a good Jewish person, three times a year, you would make the journey from wherever you lived in the, the, the land of Israel up geographically to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the geographically the highest place, and metaphorically up into God's presence. And so these, uh, these 14 psalms are psalms that your family would sing. There'd be tunes to them. And so you'd have the whole scenario when you take a trip. You'd get everybody ready, and you'd get everybody's suitcases packed, and you would, uh, you would uh, look on Google Maps for your favorite restaurant hour on the way to make sure you could get there at the right time and eat at that one burger place you really like on the way that you take to Jerusalem. And so you would pack it up, and then these songs, these psalms, these prayers, you would recite, and there'd be music to them, and maybe you'd put the CD in the car, if you had a CD back then, uh, but you would, you, would, you would sing these songs over and over again as you went up, and so it kind of became part of the way you would metaphorically go up to, into God's presence. Now, you need to know, Christians are, therefore, we're up people. We're, we live an upward kind of a life. We're going somewhere. We got some place we're headed. We're leaving some low place behind, and we're going up. We're, we're up people. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to become an up person. That doesn't mean you're positive all the time, but it just means you know where you're headed. But we're also honest people, and we admit that when we're going to go up, but we don't avoid down. In fact, we know that when we're down is when we're desperate. 
and that when we're down, the faith is built that allows us to go up. We have to go through the valleys. And so this is a psalm for people who are down and who are desperate. So what the psalmist does is the psalmist gives us a couple of illustrations of, of the things in life that make us desperate. The first one is actually not very surprising. You know this. Uh, one of the things that causes a great amount of desperation in my life and in your life is other people. Are, are there some, just a moment of honesty, are there some other people in your life, if they weren't in your life, your life would not be nearly as desperate as it is, right? How many, right? A couple people who are honest. Thank you. You have some people that they, they, they make life difficult for you. And so in uh, verse, verse 2 of Psalm 124, the psalmist says, Hey, look, if the Lord hadn't been on our side when men attacked us and their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. And there, there's just a list of ways that people can make us desperate. I just kind of thought through this, and I, I wrote, wrote some things down as I was thinking through this this week. Uh, people yell at us. People hurt us. People threaten us. People intimidate us. People bully us. People pressure us. People are the ones who renegotiate the contract with our company that hurts our pay. People are the ones who deny our insurance claim and leave us in financial hock. People are the ones who refuse us service. People are the ones who lie to us, who cheat on us, who reject us. This is true, isn't it? A lot of the desperation that you and I feel comes at the hand of other people. Maybe you've heard someone say it this way. Life would be great if it weren't for other people. <laughs> and the image that the psalmist gives us, it sounds kind of like, if you, if you picture what he's saying, because the psalmist uses uh, imaginative kind of language, it is the picture of a dragon, you know, the nostrils flaring and swallowing us alive. Um, and people can be like that, can't they? They can be like dragons. This is a picture of one of my a favorite dragons. This is Smog from the book of the, uh, the Hobbit, written by J.R.R. Tolkien. If you've seen the movie, you know that Smog breathes fire and he swallows people alive. He's kind of the personification of evil, and and you feel that way about some people that they're dragons in your life. They're breathing fire. And are there any dragons that you would like out of your life? Are there some people that are fire breathers that you wish would be gone from your life? Are there some people that are people swallowers that you wish would be gone from your life? And what the psalmist says is the threat to us from people that make us desperate is that they're going to burn up and devour our life. Now, it's interesting. Some people think that the Bible doesn't tell it like it is, that it's this, this kind of nicey-nice book, um, and that, you know, hey, this is a dog-eat-dog world. Well, the psalmist would say, well, it's much worse than that. It's not a dog-eat-dog world. It's a dragon-eat-dog world. Look out for your poodle. <laughs> Just be really, really careful. And the psalmist says, listen, there are dragons. That's the truth. That's the reality. There are people who make you desperate. And if the Lord had not been on your side, the dragon would devour you. I, I wonder, I, I know some of you, because after the first service, some people came up and they told me stories. And they would share a story about how some situation, I'll just won't give the details out of, to protect the privacy, but how out of some situation came in a relationship with another person, and they say, and they, they said again multiple times right after the service, if I, the Lord hadn't been on my side, I know I wouldn't be where I am today. And they just recounted the whole scenario. This person said this, and then I did that. How many of you have a story like that? You know, if the Lord had not been on your side, you would have absolutely been 
swallowed up by the dragon. So now the, the second, second kind of illustration that the psalmist gives us uh, and says the things that make us desperate are our circumstances, and the metaphor that the psalmist uses is of a flood. Uh, we don't live where there's necessarily a floodplain. Maybe you have a basement that floods, uh, but we don't live in a place where rivers rise, the creeks rise, and floods everything on a periodic basis. I've lived in places where, places where there are floodplains, uh, but a flood is this image of something that one minute you're fine and the next moment everything that you have is swept away and you're into a whole new scenario in your life. And you're in a flood. And there are all different kinds of floods. There are physical floods. If you depend on your body to earn your income and you hurt your back, that's a flood. I mean, that's, that's a flood. Or you get into a car wreck and you're an active person, and all of a sudden you have an injury that keeps you from doing all the things that you love to do all the time, guess what? That's a flood. That's, uh, if you have an illness that overtakes your life so that you cannot function the way that you used to function, guess what? That's a flood. That's a flood. Or you might have had a financial flood. You were laid off, or maybe you went into the car dealer, and you've got just enough money to pay all your bills, and the car, the, the, the mechanic says, listen, I know you've got this wrong, but you've also got this other thing wrong, and that's going to be $872. And you go, $872? Where's that coming from? I mean, that's a flood. Or you're going to school, and you're getting ready to better yourself, and you go, and you have got think you've got saved up for all of the fees you're going to have to pay, and, uh, and then they tell you, oh yeah, and there's a $400 you have to pay for a parking pass. You go, what, what am I going to do? It's a flood! Last spring, um, if you, some of you were here, you remember we had a, a gentleman by the name of Tracy Spar here, and he did a parenting weekend and helped us think about parenting and being better parents. And he's a friend of mine, and uh, after the service, we went out to eat with him and his wife and my, my, my wife and kids and, and them, and, and then I took them back to O'Hare Airport so they could fly home. I drove from here to O'Hare, and it was about 4 o'clock. I remember it real vividly. About 4 o'clock, I'm, I'm literally pulling up to O'Hare to drop them off, and the phone rings, and it's my wife. And she says, where are you? So, well, I'm, I'm just now pulling up to O'Hare. She said, well, you need to get home right now. Like, Why do I need to get home right now? Well, she said, we went, we, after you left uh, to take them, we went to the beach, and when we came back home, I don't know what happened, but the washing machine has been gushing water for I don't know how long in our basement, and the entire, almost the entire basement was flooded with about an inch of water in her basement. Thought, oh no, a flood! A flood, a literal flood. And then the, we had to fight the insurance and they wouldn't cover replacing the carpet and we'll still go down there almost a year and a half later and we'll smell and we'll go, something's not right down here. This flood messed up our life. The circumstances, so, so when, when the Bible talks about a flood, it's talking about the forces of chaos that are about to overtake your life. That one moment you're fine, and the next minute everything is devastated. And this is what the psalmist says. And if the Lord had not been on my side, I would have been swept away. How many of you have a story or a testimony about that? Now, there are some cynics in the room. I understand that. Uh, in fact, the first line of this psalm says that the Lord is on our side. And then the last line says, and our help is in the name of the Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth. It's sandwiched saying that God's there for us and with us. And the cynics in the room say, that might be true for you, but I have been in some desperate situations, and let me tell you what they are. And so you've got a family tragedy, and you've got a career disappointment, and you've got 
negative events in the world that you've seen gone wrong, or you like Donald Trump, or you hate Donald Trump, or you whatever's going to go wrong in the world, and you've got some scenario where you go, see, it's desperate. There is no God that's on my side, or I don't ever see God coming uh, uh, to my aid ever. Now, I, I have a temptation uh, as a pastor, and the temptation is when people have those experiences, for whatever reason, I think people think that pastors are the complaint department of heaven. <laughs> now, I don't want you to not come tell me stuff you're going through, but it's like, here's, let me recount for you the negative things that God has done and not been there for, and the temptation for any pastor is to try and explain away the bad behavior of the management. Well, you didn't really understand. I'm so sorry that ha- God doesn't have a complaint department. <laughs> I, that's what I found, and so I resist that temptation as often as I can, but the cynics, they say, okay, well, but this is all, like, paid speech. Do you, do you know how, when you've seen Michael Jordan, who pops up every now and again selling something uh, so he can make more money, do you remember when Michael Jordan sold Hanes? Do, do you remember that? And maybe you had the thought that I did when I saw Michael Jordan selling Hanes. You don't wear that. <laughs> you're not even wearing what you're, you know, you know you're not wearing, you pay $478 for your underwear, right? That's probably what you do. And they're paying you millions of dollars to do it. And the cynics in the room think, someone like me, when you, I stand up and say, but the Lord's on your side, you're like, yeah, you're paid to say that. I mean, that's, somebody, that's not the truth. But what the psalmist does, the psalmist changes the conversation from, why did these things happen to me, to, how is it that there are people who are able to say in the middle of desperate circumstances, but the Lord was on my side. But the Lord was on my side. That's the church. There's people who say, I know life's desperate. I know life's difficult. But the Lord is on my side. They have what we used to call a testimony. When I was growing up, uh, we used to have um, Sunday night church. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, You'd go on Sunday morning, there'd be one service, and then you'd go back on Sunday night, and it'd be a totally different service. And on Sunday night, in the church I grew up in, it was a, a smaller church, I remember I was about 11 years old. There would be this older couple. Now, when I say older, I'm 11. They probably were like 35. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> uh, I think they were older than that. I think they were in their 60s or so. But this older, wise couple, and they would, every time there was testimony time, and my dad was a pastor, does anybody have a testimony? They would jump right out of their seat, and they would tell some story. I remember it so vividly as an 11-year-old. They would tell some story about how life had been difficult and how they had some challenge or something bad would happen. And then they would give some version of what the psalmist said right here. And they would say, and they would, they would put their hand up like this, too, because they'd get excited. They'd go, but if the Lord hadn't been on our side, I knew they meant it. I knew they weren't kidding. I knew they weren't just saying it. I knew they weren't just reciting some speech that they're supposed to recite. It was actually true in their life. And it intrigued me as an 11-year-old. Like, that, you can live like that? You mean you can go through bad stuff? And yet you can know that God's on your side, and so you don't have to despair? What are you talking about? The psalmist says there's a, there's, a, there's a congregation of people who say, you know, in the middle of my desperation, the Lord is on my side. So he says in verse 6, praise the Lord who has not let them be torn, has not let us be torn by their teeth. In other words, the dragon didn't get me. We've escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. Now I was reading through this and I went, a bird out of the fowler's snare. I just had this mental image of a bird trapped like this, somehow escaping, because that's what it feels like most of the time in life. Like, I am trapped. I am not going to get out of this. There is no possible way to escape. That's how life feels often. And so I just started to think about 
uh, a fowler, you know, a fowler, not F-O-U-L, people who foul, but fowler, F-O-W-L, foul bird, you know, a fowler, the person who is going to research on Amazon how to catch birds, and then they're going to go study birds, and they're going to see where birds land, and what birds eat, and what, what the specific bird they're after likes, and they're going to get that as their bait, and they're going to spend time waiting for a bird, and then they're going to set the trap for the bird. They've invested all this time and all this energy on trapping the bird, and there's the bird, and there at the very last moment, very last moment when you think the bird is absolutely trapped, out, flying, it's like, it's like the end of every action movie that you've ever seen, where you think the hero has died, and there's an explosion, and you think, oh, surely they've caught up in the explosion, and what happens? The ship shoots right out of the fireball, right? It's like that, like, I thought that was me, I thought I was done for, and I was in the trap, and I was caught, and there was no way out. But if the Lord had not been on my side, I would have been. But the Lord was on my side, and out right the last second, I got out. That's you. That's you. That's, that's what the psalmist is saying. That can happen for you because the Lord is on your side. Now notice what the psalmist does not say. The psalmist does not say, in life, if you know God, everything will be great. You'll have no trouble. Your car will never break down. You'll never break a bone and have an unexpected expense. You'll never get laid off. It doesn't say any of those things. So don't, listen to me, don't short-circuit your prayers by praying some bland little prayer about how God is just going to make everything. Dear God, please make it nicer in my life. Oh, amen. Be honest about your prayer. This is what the psalmist is saying is, God, there was a dragon after me and I'm desperate. That's honest prayer. Be honest about your prayer. I'm desperate, Lord. Get, get plain. Get honest. And understand, here's what he says. It's not that those bad things happen. It's that the Lord is with us. That I'm not alone as I go through this. Because did, did you know this, that it's hazardous to be a Christian? It's actually a hazard to your life to follow Jesus. If you want a safe, easy life, don't follow Jesus. He'll take you places and require things of you and, and test you and, and pull you in ways that you didn't ever want to be on your own. You'd have never gone there. If you want a safe life, just please don't follow Jesus. That's the worst thing I could recommend for you. But if you want a life where you find out that the Lord's on your side, you're going to take some risks. And every day you're going to put your faith on the line because we live in a world where what we measure is what you can see and what you can touch and what you can, me you can measure with your, your uh, ability to understand what counts and what doesn't. And we put our faith in a God we cannot see. Every day you put your faith on the line. It's, it's, a ha it's hazardous work being a Christian. Every day we put our hope on the line. You know, what we want is we want to know what's going to happen next, but we don't. <laughs> I, I don't know if later today I'm going to get hit by a car and my journey is over. I don't know what national tragedy is going to happen. I don't know where the next shooting is going to happen or the next international incident is going to go down or when Donald Trump's going to send the next tweet. I don't know any of that. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't know how bad things are going to get. I, so I put every day, I put my hope on the line. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you put your hope on the line. And you say, I believe in a God, that God will work out his will. And that he's taking history somewhere. And I, I'm secure in the love of Christ for me that cannot be dented. I, I, I put my hope on that every day. And then I put my love on the line every day. If you're a follower of Jesus, I, I very frankly, I'm not that great at loving people. I'm really good at knowing what I need. And... Being able to work the circumstances so I get what I need. I'm really good at that. I got a lifetime of skill making that happen. But putting someone else's needs first and serving them 
and putting my own needs aside. Man, I've, it's risky, hazardous business being a Christian. Because this is what the psalmist is saying, is that you and I live on the edge of defeat all the time. We live at the, at the mouth of the dragon's cave. We live just having heard the report that the flood is coming. But we know that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So we don't despair. We don't give up hope. And we don't, dis- we don't throw away our faith. And we don't stop trying to love. We don't, we don't do any of those things. Because we know that at the end of all of this, that underneath, when this life is done, that underneath us are the everlasting arms of the God who loves us anyway. Not nothing. Like one of the writers of the Bible, he says, listen, I, naked, I came into the world, meaning, meaning with nothing, and naked I will depart with really nothing. I'm not going to take my money with me. I'm not going to take my accomplishments with me. I'm not going to take any of the things I've done with me. And there better be something there. And that's what the psalmist is telling us is, who is there is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so you can pray your desperation to the Lord of, make, of, of heaven and earth. You can do this. This can be how you can pray. It's okay to pray your desperation. Now, we're going to have a, a little bit of a lab here for a moment, but I'm going to ask you to do something really specific. If, if you have that weekly, you can flip that over, and uh, those words of this psalm are on there, and Tim's going to play, and then we're going to be silent for a minute or so, like we practiced last week if you were here. But here's what I'd like you to do, okay? Because you need the encouragement of hearing the story and the testimony of other people who have found out that in the middle of the dragon's cave and in, with the flood coming, they found out that the Lord was on their side, and that's the only reason they're here. You need the encouragement that comes from that, and so do I. So here's what I want you to do as we're thinking, as we're praying through this psalm, and I want you to read it through and be grateful. God, I, I want to see again that you're on my side. I need to know that. Here's my desperation. But I, I want to I challenge you to do something, especially if you're on social media, if you're on Facebook or on Instagram, is I'd like you to just very simply, you don't have to go into great detail, write out this, a story that you can go back and you can think about a time when the dragon almost had you or when the flood was about to overtake you or when the fowler almost had you in his snare and you escaped and you look back and you go, it's only because the Lord was on my side. I want to, just in a, a few sentences, I want you to write it on Facebook or on Instagram and I want you to hashtag it. If you don't know what that is, ask someone under 40. If, hashtag it, testimony. And we're going to share that this week. Now, you may say, I don't want to put it out there. Okay, fine. I want you to go tell somebody. I want you to tell somebody else. I, I'd love to hear your story, but I want you to tell somebody else. You can tell me if you want, but I'm going to tell you to go tell somebody else, okay? I want you to tell someone else that story, that testimony of how you know God was with you, and it, you would not have made it if the Lord had not been on your side. And uh, that's going to be what we're going to do. So we're going to give a testimony to the fact that God is with us. So I want to invite you, if you would, to begin praying right now as Tim plays.
Lord, we live in a world of dragons and snares and floods. And so we want to hear that this is your world and that our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. And so, God, I, I ask for my friends in the room who are overwhelmed by the floods in their life to be aware of your presence with them. Give them peace and hope. So we put our faith on the line, we put our hope on the line, we put our love on the line in following you, taking you at your word. So thank you, Lord. Our trust is in you. All God's people said, amen. We always leave you with a blessing. You'll see people around you holding out their hands. That's their way of tangibly saying they'd like to receive a blessing. And if you'd like to do that, please feel free to uh, put your hands out like this and receive the blessing today. May you know the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. May you know that floods to him are like a pond. Snares are like a toy. May you know the love of that God who is with you in the middle of your desperation. So you're sent now to love God, to love people, to serve the world in Jesus' name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. Our prayer team's down front if you need prayer. See ya.